Blog Talk Radio. So with COVID-19, there have been a lot of changes in broadcast TV. Saturday Night Live is doing remote shows. Jimmy Fallon and the rest are doing shows from their living rooms. And New York One looks exactly the same. I'm Brett Singer. This is my show. Hello, hello, good morning. It is Saturday, May 16th. It's a lovely Saturday here, um, and you, we are Brett from the Bunker, and we are joined today by Mr. Al Martin. Al, how you doing? Good, Brett. How you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Now, I ask everyone this, so I'm going to ask you, how are you holding up? I'm doing fine. I've been keeping busy. You know, um, I think we're a little ahead of New York down here. I've been, I've been wintering in Florida this year. Oh, okay. And um, basically, uh, the the pools are open. The beach by me, which is a, a private beach, has been open. So I've been getting outdoors. I've been doing a little exercise in the pool and uh, enjoying all those uh, um, takeout specials in all the restaurants. What the hell? I'll take advantage of them. Yeah, exactly. Everybody wants you to order, no matter no matter what. Uh, it's like that in New York too. I mean, there there is a little bit of a game that we play. Like, is is the restaurant going to be open the next time you come back to it? Which is a little sad, but that's that's kind of the state of oh, affairs wow. here. Yeah, I mean, you I mean, not mean not closed forever, but you know, like sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not. You know. Yeah, it's a really it's a really weird thing. I could probably tell you that. When we finally do reopen uh, in, in New York, a lot of your favorite restaurants might very well be gone. I mean, um, it's taking uh, a long time, I guess, because of the density of New York to to get the numbers down and, and get them in line with the metrics needed to open. So, therefore, a lot of them, uh, you know, a lot of these places just can't make it if you know, they've you know, New York's faced with other things that some other areas are not. They, uh, so these restaurateurs got to pay enormous rents. They're not open. Um, then when they do reopen, they got to make calculations because of mandated, you know, minimum wage laws or workman's compensation. Some of these expenses are going to be too much for them to handle. So I would say a good guess is 30 to 40% of restaurants might not reopen when, oh, wow. when all is said and done. That's a big yeah, number. I mean, listen, yeah, you're talking about it, – it all depends on a lot of things. It's like how is their landlord dealing with them? Is the landlord being very difficult? Uh, uh, is um, – you know, how are they going to do retaining their employees? Uh, that's another thing. And it reaches a point where some of the – the big boys in the restaurant industry are starting to make the calculation. uh, Do we just close up shop now, hold on to our money and reopen when there's a lot more clarity on where we're at with everything. They're burning a lot of cash. Yeah, no, I think that makes, that's very true. I think that's what it is where the sort of, you see the restaurants kind of being there and then not being there and, you know, kind of coming in and out like that. Um, what about with comedy clubs? I mean, do you have any sense of, um, not, obviously you don't know exactly when, but of, you know, kind of how long until things start to come back sure, there? Sure, sure. Well, 
you know, I just read an article today that a, um, a comedy club in Canada is ready to open. They're opening oh, wow. up. Uh, yeah, yeah, in Edmonton, Canada. Now, uh, the thing is, with in terms of New York City, it doesn't look like, even though three or four, you know, most regions up north and, and in certain parts of New York are being reopened uh, in phase one, you know, the governor has created four phases. And um, it, and to to be able to open at phase one, you have to hit, I believe, seven metrics, different metrics that the state of, has established, things like right. hospitalizations, things like deaths, um, and new hospital, you know, the uh, ICU capacities. So New York, I believe, has only hit three out of three out of seven. Really? Um, you know, while Mayor Dum Dum, uh, <laughs> sorry if anybody likes him. Uh, no, I, I, is, uh, I think if anybody is really the key word there. It's unclear. He must have fans, but I've never met one. He must have fans because somehow he's not reelected. But um, it is. Um, Amazing, uh, the ineptitude at times. So, you know, while he's busy doing whatever he's doing, uh, we have still only hit three out of the seven metrics. So the thinking is that we might hit all seven by the first week of June. So if New York City opens the first week of June and they're going to need two weeks of data before they can move to each of the next, you know, we're rolling two weeks of data till they can move to phase two. If you calculate that, four phases at two weeks each is basically two months from whenever the city does open. So that's June to July, July to August. So that brings you to the beginning of August. Uh, and then more than likely, I, I mean, I hope not more than likely, but the city might not hit again another metric in one of those phases and be delayed another couple of weeks till they can reopen. So um, best case scenario, if we if the state allows the city to open August, um, June 6th is sometime in early June, uh, our phase will be ready. Um, and a worse case and probably a more probable scenario, I'm thinking early September. Okay. So that whole long answer. That whole long answer was to get us to early September, but I, I guess I wanted people to know the thinking of that. No, that, that, was, re- that was really good. Yeah, I mean, that was, that, that was a very clear thought process. Um, and do you yeah. think that's at full capacity or that's at uh, par- partial capacity? No, so, yeah, so then that's part two of the equation. And that's why I think um, a lot of businesses might or might not make it. Um, because if you follow the model that most cities are doing except unbelievably Miami which is a a busy city but most cities are opening their businesses at 25% capacity oh wow so uh, now yeah exactly so unless you have worked out something you know with your partners in this to some extent your landlords uh, you've got issues because now you're opening your business with a hell of a lot of expenses after being closed for six months or five months or whatever we, by the time we open will have been closed. And, you know, there are certain expenses, even though you open at 25% capacity that are still going to be a hundred percent. You know, for instance, uh, when you air condition a room in the summer, 
you know, air conditioning doesn't take account whether there's 15 people in the room or 60 people in the room. So your your air conditioning, your electric doesn't change. Uh, Your your employees uh, still have to get whatever the new mandated minimum wages are, which in the last few years have gone up considerably in the in, in, in the restaurant, and I'm not making a judgment either way about what minimum wage should be, but that's now a very real fixed expense for these businesses that they can't do anything with. Right. Um, you know, uh, your your cable bill remains the same no matter what amount of people you have in the room. So even if you work out something with your landlord on your biggest expense, which is your rent, all your other expenses are fairly fixed. So you then get into the business of trying to figure out new ways to generate revenue because the expense side is kind of limited as to where you can cut and where you can go. And some businesses are just making the calculation that it doesn't pay to reopen at, you know, it doesn't pay to not be open for six months or five months and then reopen at a low capacity like that. You know, you take a small restaurant, that's been going at, um, uh, that's being asked to open now. Up until now, let's say they're doing a brisk takeout and delivery business. All of a sudden you say, oh, you can open at 25%. So if he has 10 seats or 12 seats, that means he's going to open at four four seats. He's going to hire a waitress for these four seats, you know? And, right. And, and, and so the income, it just doesn't pay, you know? And then go, and to open costs, money, you know, um, to to re-tool uh, your venue, you know, you have to do things, uh, uh, plexiglass is becoming uh, important in some things that you do. You have to buy uh, probably these thermometers, disinfectant, uh, Purell uh, stations throughout your venue, stuff like that. So, you know, for some businesses, it's, it's, it's a nightmare. <laughs> what's, the, what's the plexiglass? What do you mean there? Well, for instance, if you go on Broadway Comedy Club's uh, Facebook page, we've now put plexiglass around our box office. So oh. when you come in, you know, when when you when I think about reopening, I think of every step of the way that the customer moves into our space and how do I protect the customer as well as the staff from you know, from infection. So, you know, we've now, if you've ever been to our club, the box office, you walk in and you, you say hello to someone on a podium and, right. you know, that's our box office. Now we put plexiglass around that podium to protect both the customer and the, and the uh, employee. Then when you walk down the stairs, I'm thinking to myself, how do people walk down the stairs? There's banisters. They're holding banisters. Germs can sit on a banister, right? So they get to the bottom of the stairs. There's a a, a Purell disinfecting station there. Uh, Then we have them located throughout the club. And then in the bar area, we're putting plexiglass. Like if you have two or three servers up against the bar waiting to get their drinks from the bartender, now those two two or three wait staff are separated by a piece of plexiglass. So they're in their own sort of cubicle at the bar. That's that's where we're heading. Um, then you got to take uh, protocols with the microphones. And uh, and then, of course, in the showroom itself, so, socially distancing. 
right now I'm talking to my staff. Do do they want those um, protective uh, shield guards on their face? Does that make it easier for them than masks? Because how do you take how do you talk to people when you're taking orders with a mask? So maybe while they're taking the orders, the shield will be down, and then the rest of the time they can put the shield up and have the mask. So. You know, this is a lot of the work of what I'm doing right yeah. now. Yeah, well, it's actually to, very, it's actually know? very encouraging to hear, like because it sounds like you've really thought it through at every step. Like the what you said about the banisters, like well, they're touching a banister, then they're going to want a Purell, so let's put the hand sanitizer right there at the bottom. Like that would make me feel better about going to a club. You know that you that when you thought all these I things mean, through. Yeah, I think a lot of you know in the old days the marketing was. Come on down and see great stand-up comics, or <laughs> or enjoy our full a full menu of sliders and hot wings and you know Junior's cheesecake. Now the new marketing is to be come on down and see how we socially distanced our tables and <laughs> our staff is walking around in spacesuits and you know uh, look at our supply of Purell stations. You know, right? We've got plexiglass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, this is really what marketing is going to look like because you know there's going to be there's going to be a time when we pivot for instance now here in florida they've now opened restaurants at 25 percent capacity so okay. in miami it'll be 50 but where i am it's going to be 25 so now i started thinking you know people have gotten so used to takeout and delivery what's going to get them off their rear ends you know some people are just high risk and they ain't going anywhere and I don't judge them and that's it. But for me, you know, I want to start to feel a little bit like there's life. Like a, during the day I can go for a swim, you know, uh, I do, you know, doing some online gambling so I can, you know, uh, play the races uh, that, that are available. So for me, like, I want to go out to eat. That's a thing for me, you know? So sure. I've decided to, to make a reservation. I'm going out tonight for the first time since this, thing to a restaurant and you know um my my feeling is when i get there my hope is that you know you you see these nightmare stories where restaurants are opening and i don't know if they're always true you know i always trust a photo taken by somebody i know rather than somebody in the news media that might have a narrative they want to spread or you know might want to sensationalize a story so but, you know, you see these situations where restaurants are opening and people are not so, you know, nowhere near socially distanced. So I'm going to go. I'm not going to valet my car. I'm going to just park it in the lot because I don't know who's getting in my car to valet it, where they've been, what they're doing. I'm, right. I'm trying to minimize the exposures. And usually when I go to a restaurant, I like to have a drink at the bar first. I ain't, I'm not doing that because I, I can't imagine the stand-up bars like that being socially distanced. You know, unless you only want two people at the bar. So, um, you know, it's going to be dinner with no frills. When we sit down, uh, uh, I'm assuming the restaurant will have people six feet apart, so that'll be good. Um, You know, one of the things we're doing, I don't know if this restaurant will be doing it, but uh, we're going to have disposable menus. uh, Oh, that's such a great idea. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to do disposable menus. Or allow people to look at the menus online. So um, I'm just trying to cut exposures that people might have as much as possible. We're doing things for the comics as well to protect them with the mics. And so 
you know, it's it's going to be a whole new world we're opening to. And, uh, you know, I don't think everybody will survive it because there, there's not only the fact that they've been closed for quite a while and incurring a lot of expenses and debt, but it, the, the expense to open is, is high. And, the you know, I don't know if they'll be able to make it on these reduced capacities that people are talking about. Do you think people want to come back? I mean, I think they do, but some people say, you know, people are going to be too nervous. Like audience, here's audience my, members. Here's my, here's my feeling, you know. It's like I had this discussion the other day with somebody, and they said to me, you're going out? What are you, out of your mind? Don't you care about other people? You're being selfish. You're a fool. You know, it was, and this is a friend I know for 50 years, you know. So I, I, I said to him, listen, I'm, I'm taking all precautions and I'm not doing anything different than if I walked into a Costco or a supermarket or a Lowe's, you know, which is jammed with 200 people, 200 right. people in a Costco, you know, and you're, you're waiting an hour and a half to get in there on a line. So you don't know what, what's being transmitted there. So right. the, 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 the thing is, I think we do what we're conditioned to do at any given time. So I asked the guy, after everything was finished, I said to him, when they open, are you upset because I'm open where I am to go out and have dinner and you're inside? Like, what will happen when your community that you live in hits all the metrics that are requested to open? Are you still going to stay home or are you going to venture out outside? And he said, surprisingly, because he made this whole argument that I was a, a selfish prick, you know, but mm-hmm. he said, no, I'll probably go outside, but, you know, I'm going to have to measure, you know, what they're doing and make sure it is safe, which, of course, all of us should do. But, I mean, like, what's the game plan of certain people not ever to go out again till you're down to zero cases of COVID? Because I'm not sure that's ever going to happen. You have to start thinking in your life a little bit about pivoting to some kind of balance where you don't become a mental patient from sitting inside all day, every day. So, you know, and, you know, but again, this should become a personal choice. You know, Um, at some point you have to decide, Hey, I'm a very high risk person. And if I get an infection, uh, you know, and what are the conditions of the ground? Are hospitals going to be able to take care of me if I get sick? You know, one of the things we've been successful at is, you know, flattening this curve quite a bit. You know, when, when New York was at its peak, there were 750 deaths a day, and hospitalizations were much higher, and we were in danger of overriding our medical uh, community. Right. Now, you know, six weeks, eight weeks later, um, the last count yesterday, I think, was 157 deaths. So we've come down, you know, uh, uh, any one of these deaths, one too many, yes, especially to myself, because I lost my sister to COVID, you know, oh my at God. the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. So my sister passed away from it. But, you know, at the end of the day, we've come down tremendously. Our healthcare system is much more stabilized and able to handle these things. And I think the approach that the governor has taken is, you know, we got to make sure we have the capacity to take care of people if they do get sick. 
But, you know, at some point you've got to think about reopening. You know, there's a whole set of other problems, you know. Yeah, not as many people are dying, and that's great. But other people are dying. They're dying because everything they had invested in their life is coming to an end. And how are they going to provide for their families? And how they, you know, I, I would venture to say you're going to see a lot of deaths due to mental health, you know, suicides um, um, and things like that. But, you know, and it's always funny. I find that the people that are getting their paycheck are not as sympathetic to opening the economy mm-hmm. as others that are dying here, you know, uh, that are that are not able to pay their bills and might lose everything. You know, it's very easy when you're getting your pension and you're getting your social security sitting in a room and say, Hey, I don't give a shit when we reopen or you're on public assistance or you're getting your unemployment or you're a civil servant and, and your job hasn't stopped. You're continuing to work and, and, and earn a paycheck. So everybody's got different perspectives. And I think one of the things we've forgotten to do in this society is understand or be empathetic to another person's point of view. Right away when someone says, oh, you know, I'd like the kind of us thinking about reopening the economy, you're a fascist, you're this, you're that, you're out of your mind, you're sick, you're a selfish pig, you don't give a shit about anybody, you know. Uh, So everybody's got a viewpoint. And then when someone says, I I don't want to go out, I'm, I'm afraid because I'm high risk, you know, oh, you're a pussy, you know, or stuff like that. You know, no, they're not a no, of course they've not. Got a real, you know, they've got a real fear of getting sick because they've been in a hospital for, for ailments. So everybody's got a, a perspective. And I think what we need to all begin to do to handle this better and not be on endless Facebook arguments with people or, or social media arguments is, hey, a little empathy. Everybody's got a different point of view. They're not all the same as ours. Uh, I think that's very true. And uh, speaking of Facebook, yeah. now you and your wife share a Facebook account, right? Yes, which do. which is fascinating. <laughs> like, is, is there is there a clear division of sort of like are are is one sort of mostly the political stuff? Is what you know, like does does it divvy up or is it or is it pretty balanced between the two? Well, it, uh, you know, it's a very funny thing. When I first started on Facebook, I because I, I, I'm a, a politics junkie, um, I posted a lot of stuff that was political and you know i grew up at a time when you know before social media a you might not have known people's politics at all to begin Mm. with or b you know you had the ability to have a discussion with a friend of yours and you knew when to cut it off when you were in person or on the phone uh it just got it was getting a little issues ah let's agree to disagree and go off now people are taking it as sides. You're either this or that. If you're that, block me. I don't want to be knowing you. You're, or, or if you're a Trumper, you're a pig that doesn't care about anybody. Or if you if you support left wing, you're anti-American. You know, it's, the thing is all crazy. You know, it's, it's, so I I decided to get less political on my posts on Facebook. And I just become a person that, you know, uh, tries to stay away from it. Consequently, though, it's weird. My wife is always apolitical, and lately she's getting more wanting to <laughs> put stuff up. 
you know. And then I say to her, "Listen, Carolyn, don't don't put that up because I I wind up having to answer it, and and you know, and I don't need the the stress and and the nonsense of it all. So that's funny. It, it's kind of funny how that is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've no, that gotten is. lately a little bit to putting our name after who the poster is. So you know. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen some of that. Um, have you seen any of the yeah. virtual shows, like the Zoom shows, or any 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 of those? I have. I have. What do you think? And um, well, my opinion is this: we're going to try it. Uh, you know, uh, at Broadway Comedy Club, we have one coming this Monday at 5 p.m. Oh, cool. Uh, my feeling has always been on it: a, there's so much of this product out there now. And B, there's so much of it that's so bad, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like um, if you're going to do this, you've got to do it, in my opinion, with A, a lot of quality performers, and B, a quality-looking product, you know. You've got people doing these Zoom things like they look like they're in their bathroom or, you know, they got open cans of Chef Boyardee in the background. You know? <laughs> it, looks, <laughs> it looks like they were just cooking dinner or something. You know, how, you know, have some pride in the product you're putting out. So we have a great show. We have Sherry Davey, Ian Lara, uh, Brian Scott McFadden, Troy oh, wow. Dunn, and, you know, we've, we've taken time. We're, 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 going to have uh, the, um, uh, a tip jar out there for charity uh, that, that we're donating the money to. We're not making any money on, the, on this. So it's just uh, something that we're um, experimenting with, uh, also trying to keep our brand out there, as they say. They, right. People love to talk about their brand. Uh, so we're trying, you know, trying it out to see how it works. Oh, that's cool. All right, you know, so that's good. One of the things um, I spent a lot of, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no. One of the things that has occupied my time you, you asked me before is I've actually taken the time to write a book on my. That was the next thing I was going to ask. That that was the next thing I was oh, going to ask. Okay. I wanted to make sure to get that in. Um, so tell me a little yeah. about that. So you you've been in comedy for how long? Thirty years. Started wow. in 1989. Wow. 1989. So you've got a lot. You know a lot. And you know a lot of people. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, it's a funny thing. You know, when a comic starts, they probably, in the New York area, especially 30 years ago, when there wasn't an alternative scene or there wasn't uh, other types of venues other than comedy clubs to start, you started in, in just the comedy clubs. And back in that time, in 89... The only comedy clubs in Manhattan were Catch a Rising Star, Dangerfields, Comic Strip, and um, The Improvisation. All okay. four of those shows did not have uh, open mics and did not cater to new. So, huh. again, you're a new talent. How are you breaking in? Stand Up New York then opened up, and Caroline's opened up. Uh, she originally opened up in a showcase room uh, uh, in on the west side in the Chelsea area. But none of these clubs really had open mics. So when I opened up New York Comedy Club, we were one of the first comedy clubs to actually do an open mic. So and so we, we talk about a lot of the firsts that New York Comedy Club in, in those days when I owned it. I owned it until 2014. 
we were the first club to have an African-American comedy show, a Latino comedy show, a gay and lesbian show. Uh, even most recently, Broadway Comedy Club was actually the first comedy club to pass a transgendered comedian into oh, our lineup. right. That's right. Right. You know, uh, uh, which thrilled my daughter because she's transgendered as well. Okay. So, um, you know, but so it talks a, a lot about the groundbreaking stuff and how the scene has changed in 30, in the 30 years. Yeah. Well, that's, you cool. know, so that's very cool. So it sounds like diversity is important to you. Diversity is very important. And, you know, I did get a lot of pushback uh, when I first started these uh, things years back. You know, the the establishment at the time, the the or as they say in Jewish, the big mockers of comedy hmm. at that time, um, they looked down on it. They felt that comedy was homogenous. It should be one type of comedy. Uh, you know, um, if you wanted to have a black comedian, you could have your one black comedian or your one female comic, but generally it was, you know, all, everybody lumped into one show. And, you know, as I always felt as the demographics of New York changed and the country has changed, there are people that have a voice different than my voice. They grew up in a a different world that I might've grown up in and they might want to talk about, you know, we ask people to talk about their real lives on stage, you know, to be who they are. You know, and it might have been very different than what, you know, the people of comedy clubs viewpoint of what the world was. So I wanted to have a forum for that. And it's very funny because I created that forum years ago. And then at some point there was a pendulum switch where people said, well, we're all people. We don't want to be lumped into as a group, a separate group or an ethnic group. And then it's went back again the other way. So it's like, it's, it's comedy is constantly evolving. And sure. you know, just to answer your, your zoom question, I find most of the zoom stuff unwatchable, you know, <laughs> um, because the talent is not, is, is not where it should be. And even the guys and, and, and gals that are talented, it's very funny. It's very, I mean, difficult to do this without that audience, you know, like, I watched Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show. It's un- to me, it's unwatchable. I mean, Kimmel has been okay and probably about as good as you can do with this, but I'm dying for the audience to come back. I mean, it just right. sounds like it, even Jimmy, all these people sound like it's some cheap podcast in a basement somewhere, and it's just not, it's not funny to me, you know? And I, and I think you, as a performer need that audience feedback. How do you feel about the whole thing? I think it's difficult. I think we need to do it. And I think, interestingly, it's sort of the the newer comics who, who probably need it even more in some ways, because, you know, when you, cause you just, right. you need to stay, stay fresh. Like if you've been doing comedy, if you're a Brian's comic fan, you're going to be fine. You know, when, when it t- comes yes. time to come back. Whereas if you're, you know, if you're, you know, like I'm about a year and a half in, I need to keep, I need to keep fresh in some way. And if this is yes. the only way that we've got, you know, this is what it is. Yeah, yeah you're right. I mean, you gotta, you gotta do with what you got. I'm very curious. You know, there are people who are saying to me, Zoom is the future, this is where it's going, the comedy clubs are dead, and all that. And then I'm wondering, uh, when the day comes, we can open up at, say, 50% capacity, and 
present live entertainment again in front of an audience, um, are they staying away from the comedy clubs and live performance venues and still going to perform on Zoom? Or they're throwing away their Zoom links and going going out and, and hitting comedy venues again? I think that'll be an interesting question at some point. Yeah, I mean, some some people think you can do both. I I think it'll be interesting. Like, you know, like like, would you consider having uh, like the virtual option, like when you when when things reopen? Well, that virtual option was there. I mean, it was called. Oh, is that right? Did you did you shows. broadcast your shows? Well, we experimented with that years ago. Where okay. you know uh, the problem we had at Broadway, being in the center of Manhattan was the the Wi-Fi signals at the time we did it were not that strong. But, you know, what some clubs had experimented with uh, is you would have your – and then there were other technical issues involved, like compensation for comedians and stuff like that. For instance, if you have a, a, a comedy club and you have 200 people in the room and you're paying a top comedian in Manhattan the pay that they get, Okay, then you say to that, you know, they're doing that performance for that showroom. But now if you're videoing them to live stream it across the country and in places outside of New York, you're advertising, hey, would you like to watch live from Broadway uh, five top nationally recognized comedians, which people then can check on YouTube and see if they're really funny and that they want to watch it and you're charging $5 or $10 for that, definitely the comics should get more money, you know, because now their product, their work is going out across the country. Right. So the question is, A, how do you figure out that compensation? And is it just one flat sum? You say, oh, if you're getting $80 a set, would you be willing to do this for 125 if we can broadcast and try to stream across the country. Um, and then you have to start collecting permission slips that the comics gave you their authorization to use their, them and their likeness. And then that becomes a bookkeeping, you know, thing, you know, you got to keep tons and tons of files now on, on right. can you imagine a new talent show? So, you know, Oh that, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> produce shows. I mean, you know, so obviously you would limit. You don't. You don't really want to live stream your new talent shows, and you know, because then you could get a uh, a problem. But you know what? There might be a market for that because if you get a bringer that comes from Ohio, he might not be able to bring anything to Manhattan, but he might have two hundred classmates that went with him to school. In Ohio, that might want to see what he's doing as far as Stan. It might want to see himself make an idiot of himself or something, you know? So, sure. You know, so live streaming was there. Uh, the uh, the ability to do it was there. Uh, and, and the audience that's necessary for stand-up comedy was there. And it didn't really take off all that much, you know? So uh, I, that's why I say... I think when the live shows open, uh, like what's what's your performance option? You know, um, six people in a box watching you, or or with no audience, or get out and perform. You know, we're performers. 
we're, we're addicts for these live feedback of people, you know? So all of a sudden you're taking that away. And I get it. You need to work out now and you do what you need to do, you know, during this kind of crisis. But I see the Zoom thing just totally collapsing uh, once people can get out there live and do a show. Now, you know, I'm sure there are people out there who are saying, okay, Boomer, you know, you dinosaur, you know, but, yeah. you know, uh, I I, I I mean yeah I don't know about that I think I think if once the clubs are available everyone would rather be in the clubs. Yeah, exactly. I mean that's my opinion. You know we've had the ability to do we've actually like I said had the ability to do Zoom type stuff with an audience and it really you know now if you're paying a top comedian of, like a national guy money and doing a pay per view live streaming it all over. You know, there might be a monetary value in that, and it, it, you might be able to pull it off. But, you know, it, the, the technology's been around. You know, it's just, you know, people prefer going to live venues now. Right. But, you know, once there's a vaccine, if they do get one or a therapeutic, you know, I think people will eventually venture back into the club, and it'll be a few courageous people that do it. Then their friends see it. They see that the person is still alive, and they're going to get a little jealous and want to get out. And and eventually, we all get out. Now, the worst thing is if we all get pumped up to go out, and then all of a sudden there's a second wave. So that that's a whole other issue. Oh you know? God, I haven't even thought uh, about that. That's a scary thought. Yeah, uh, you know, one of the encouraging th- things right now is it's you know this thing spreads mostly in the winter and uh, winter months, and one of the encouraging things is in Australia right now, it is their winter. You know, uh, once you get south of the equator, southern part of, uh, Argent- you know, South America, uh, Australia, New Zealand, and right now it seems like their cases are pretty controlled and very light, you know, so that may okay. be can be a, a somewhat encouraging to us. You know, I think also in New York, you, you might reach at some point a herd immunity. You know, uh, I, last I saw, 37% of people tested in New York had already had the virus. Yeah, I heard that. I, I, I thought that was pretty, that was, that was a real eye-opener. I, I wonder if that's accurate. I, yeah. Because that's, that's a big number. And if that's, if that's true, yeah, I mean, that um, that's from, probably yeah, a good thing state, for us. Yeah, that's coming from the state figures, you know. And so, you know, when people say, oh, the death rate is, yeah, yeah, of course the death rate is going up. We're finally testing. We're tracing. We're testing. We're doing all these things. So if you don't test, you don't know how many people were exposed to this virus, you know, but once you start testing, uh, you're able to get a, a feel of what, you know, you're, you're no longer traveling with blinders on. You are extremely so, well, you are very up on these things. You seem to, you must read a lot. I read a lot, you know, like uh, the, the, the two things I've pretty much been doing is read, you know, a few things, you know, reading a lot because I always feel like knowledge is is, a, is an asset to have in, in making your decisions. B, you know, uh, thinking business all the time, uh, uh, get, getting the finances right, uh, the, the various grants and loans and things that are available to me and filling out those applications and getting them in and getting 
the, 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 the financial lifeline to keep the businesses flowing, um, planning for reopening, uh, negotiations with landlords uh, to make it worth opening. So, and then writing the book, you know, writing the book has really occupied a lot of my time and getting it done. And thankfully it will be out next week. Uh, I was, I was just going to say, when is it, what's, what's it called and when will it be out? The name of the book is I did it on a dare. How I built a comedy empire in thirty short years. You know, Not bad. And, uh, I like it. Yeah, it's a very true story. You know, I did it on a dare, and and then I, I, I actually it could be a, a a side thing. How I built a comedy empire in thirty short years, and COVID wrecked it in two months. You know, so, uh, <laughs> I don't want. I don't want to think that way, but that could be. I was going to say, you seem you, know? you seem like you're you're looking forward. You you do not sound like you are, you know, crying in your beer. Like you're definitely like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna reopen. This is how we're gonna do it. We're gonna get the face shields. We're gonna get the Purell. It's 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 actually pretty encouraging. I got to tell you. Well, yeah, thank you, thank you. You know, but you know, Brett, that's because I think there are two generations of people. I think around, you know, uh, and that is my, my generation that has pretty much seen a lot of crap and a lot of adversity and, you know, didn't grow up a certain way and had to make things happen for themselves. And those I think are the people best to lead the way, hopefully to a reopening because, you know, you learn how to adapt, but if you are a person that really hasn't faced a lot of adversity in in business, or you haven't had to deal with a lot of these things, you become, for lack of a better word, you become frightened at what could happen here, you know? So I, you know, I grew up in an era, like I hear a lot of young people talking that have come to New York in the last 10 years or so, you know, the people that made Williamsburg, Greenpoint, uh, Bushwick, Bed-Stuy, Astoria, Long Island City, you know, great, vibrant neighborhoods. They brought those neighborhoods back, but those are people like from Wisconsin or, you know, uh, Minnesota or Michigan or Missouri. They come here, Ohio, they come here open-eyed and they really, you know, built a light here in New York, but they're not, they're not used to what New York was, you know, and, and New York is capable of, becoming again, unfortunately, which is the New York I grew up in in the six, late, very late 60s, early 70s. You know, a New York that had graffiti, that had a lot of crime, that had right. 2,000 murder, murders a day. Uh, there was a grittiness to New York, you know, uh, the peep shows and, you know, Times Square. Times Square didn't have Disney and Bubba Gumps, you know. It had, you know, night shops and... Uh, peep shows and porno theaters. Yep. You know? So, you know, when you grow up and survive that kind of adversity, um, you, you know, you get a little toughened. So uh, the first thing I'm reading is people say, I'm getting a, a, a New York is scary as shit. I'm getting out of here. You know, I, I'm going back home and going to live in the, in the, um, in the, in the burbs again and stuff like that. And I say, get the fuck out of here. If you don't like it, go, we'll make New York come back. New York, New York came, you know what? You leave and a lot of rents will come down. There you go. People can live here, right? You know, so. 
I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to stop, but we're going to get we're going to get bumped yeah. off. Um, this has been fantastic, of and no you've problem. been an awesome guest. Uh, tell everyone where they can find the book. Uh, you'll be able to find it next week. It'll be up on Amazon. I did it on a dare. How I built a comedy empire in thirty plus years. Great stories about New York, New York comedy scene and and a, a lot of celebrity stuff in there. And uh, you'll really enjoy it. It's a great read. Great. And where can they find the Broadway on Comedy Amazon, Club shows? Amazon. Amazon. Oh, that's a, that's on Amazon. Right? But what about the? You said you're doing a Broadway Comedy Club show. I think you said on Monday. Yes. Go to BroadwayComedyClub.com. All the information is there. It will actually be a Zoom show, <laughs> which I just spent a half hour trashing. But you know, <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna try it, and we're uh, a, a, a great quality show. Brian Scott McFadden, Ian Lara, Sherry Davy, Troy Bond. You can't great you can't beat that lineup. Al, thank yep. you so much for coming on. Up? I really appreciate yep. it. Um, All right, everybody, uh, this has been Brett from the Bunker. We'll be back Monday at 11 a.m. Please stay safe.